Hey everybody, happy Easter. I'm so glad you're here. There's a lot of you in here, my gosh. My name is Jeremy. I'm supposed to be helping lead this thing, but I got caught up in worship over there. I hope you felt exactly the same thing. This has been an amazingly big week as we're working our way towards Easter. Uh, And one of the processes that I have in preparing for uh, something like this is I spend a lot of time walking, riding bike, praying, and thinking, trying to think about what do I want to talk about, what's in my heart, what do I want to give uh, in this room, in this moment. Easter Sunday is a big deal. And I spent, uh, I found myself on a rabbit trail, uh, which makes a lot of sense, I think, when you think about Easter, uh, where I was debating uh, (laughs) what are my favorite Christmas movies, right? That's what you expected me to say, right? I think I decided it's Elf. Uh, that's at least my family would agree that it's our favorite Christmas movie. But I had an inordinate amount of time in which I was debating with myself, what's the best Christmas movie? Is it The Grinch? Is it Elf? Is it Christmas Vacation? Is it, right? And I had this Die Hard got in there somewhere at some point. Because there's a big debate as I'm thinking, like, what is the best Christmas movie? And what that led me to thinking is, what in the heck are Easter movies? In fact, the first thing I thought of when I thought about Easter movies, and maybe if you're like me, maybe if you grew up in the 80s on a farm in which the only TV that you had was an antenna that was strapped to the top of your house, you thought of the Ten Commandments. Because when I think about Easter, the Ten Commandments, so who in the room has seen the Ten Commandments? Raise your hands for me. Okay, many of you. Uh, Most of you, if you're under the age of like 30, go, what is that? Uh, That's a movie that was made in like 1955 starring Charlton Heston. Uh, And ABC has shown this movie during the Easter season for 55 straight years on broadcast TV. So when I was growing up and Easter weekend came around, one of the hallmarks of knowing that it was Easter weekend is that there was a four and a half hour block of TV that was set aside where all the shows I normally wanted to watch weren't on and instead the Ten Commandments was on. And I have to admit, as a farm boy growing up in uh, rural North Dakota, I didn't really understand why they would show this movie all the time. I mean, sure, it's great. Um, As an adult, I've kind of figured it out. In fact, here's a quote that maybe helps us. Uh, I was reading about this. Somebody else had the same experience I had. They said, it never occurred to me as a kid, but of course, the Ten Commandments was airing on Easter because the holiday usually coincides with the celebration of Passover. The story of the children of Israel being led out of slavery in Egypt and into freedom in the promised land is celebrating, celebrated during Passover, and that's the story of the Ten Commandments. And it's like, well, of course, because the Passover holiday is right at the time of Easter, and Jesus and his friends were celebrating Passover during Easter weekend. Now, maybe all those puzzle pieces didn't come together for you like they didn't come together for me, but I think this is a massive piece of the puzzle of how we make sense of what's happening on Easter. I don't know how familiar you are with the story of the Ten Commandments. There's an amazing film you can watch if you want to catch up. But just to give you the shorthand, the people of Israel, God's people, are enslaved in Egypt, and then God sends them a savior named Moses to go release them from slavery, and he leads them out of Egypt, out into the desert, And then this moment happens where the Israelites have escaped from slavery and they've went out into the desert and behind them, the approaching army of the Egyptians who have had a change of heart are chasing hard after them, bringing the entire army. 
In fact, there's a great moment in another uh, Ten Commandments movie called Exodus uh, that was made by Ridley Scott, I think, in which one of the lieutenants of the Pharaoh says, how are we going to get 400,000 slaves back home? And he said, we're not bringing anyone back. Behind them, death is closing in, and ahead of them, they are now pinned in by the Red Sea. Death waits in front of them, slavery behind them, and the people turn to their Savior, and they say this, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Wasn't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave? Didn't we tell you this was going to happen while we were still there? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than to be a corpse in the wilderness. See, the people of Israel realize that they are in a bad way. Behind them is waiting judgment, and what they had was slavery that they could not escape from. In front of them is an impossible situation which looks like death. And Moses, in this moment, when the entire crowd has turned on him, turns back to them and he says an amazing statement. Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. Now, when you're in the middle of that situation, that has to sound like grandiose talk. Like, what are you talking about, Moses? But the most incredible thing happens. God tears a hole in the fabric of our reality. He splits the waters, and he leads his people across, and he crushes their enemies. Something that they could have never foreseen. Something that they could have never predicted. Something that was so incredible and so amazing that we're still making movies about it all these years later. It's incredible. The creator God of the universe broke into our world and tore a hole in the fabric of our reality. And I think the Ten Commandments story uh, serves a really great role for us. It's a prequel. It's a prequel to the story of Easter. As a Star Wars fan, I know all about prequels. Uh, they're not always great. This one happened to be pretty good, but it's a prequel. So let me get you up to speed on the story of Easter. If you weren't here on Good Friday, uh, here's what happened. Jesus was killed. And the story picks up in this amazing section in one of the Gospels where some of Jesus' disciples are walking along the road, and this man comes up to them, which the text tells us is Jesus, but they don't recognize him. And Jesus says, why the long faces, bros? That's not a quote. It's kind of a paraphrase, but that's kind of what he's getting at. And the guys say, you got to be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the stuff that's been happening the last few days. He says, what things? The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and the other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was going to be the Messiah who would come to rescue Israel. He thought, we thought he might be our Moses. And I don't know if you saw what happened on Friday, but he was killed. Then they continue. Then some women from our group of followers, they were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said that his body was missing and that they had seen angels who told them that Jesus is alive. And some of our men ran out to verify. We didn't believe them. We had to send a reconnaissance mission. And sure enough, his body was gone, just like the women had said. Now, that's an incredible story. We have the story of Jesus, this incredible teacher who the people had been following. He'd been doing miracles. They hoped that he was going to be the Messiah. He was killed not only by the crowds or by the political leaders. He was killed by the religious leaders who should have known how to validate who he really was. 
And now the story is his body's missing and there's angels have told us he's alive. Now, how do we measure that story? What we have to do is measure impact. This is a picture of the uh, famous crater, the meteor crater that's up in northern Arizona. As you can see, it's a pretty impressive thing as holes in the ground go. (laughs) That's a spot where a meteor smashed into the earth long ago and left a giant hole. Now, here's the reality. That's a big impact. But when I ask you, how does that impact your day-to-day life? Very small, I would guess, unless you're some sort of geologist who specializes in meteor strikes. Anyone in the room? No. Okay, great. Uh, So, not a huge impact, even though it left a big mark on the scene. And what we have to do to be able to measure the impact of this idea that Jesus is no longer in the grave is to say, what is it actually doing? What is the impact that it's made? There's a quote I came across this week that talks about the state of humanity after the fall. When humanity had rebelled against God in the earliest stories in the Garden of Eden, here's what he said. The story of the fall tells us that sin corrupts. It puts asunder what God had joined together, and it joins together what God had put asunder. Like some devastating twister, corruption both explodes and implodes creation, pushing it back toward the formless void from which it came. Now, the impact of Jesus' resurrection, him not being in the grave, is directly tied to how big of a deal you think the problem he came to solve was. And if this quote is correct, it has impacted every part of creation. In fact, the Apostle Paul, who's one of the founders of the early church, says it this way as he describes what humanity is like, and it's not a very bright picture. Here's what he says. They're full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, gossip. They're backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, boastful. They refuse to understand. They break their promises. They're heartless. They have no mercy. Please, Paul, go on. Tell us how you really feel. Now, that's a little heavy to hear on Easter morning. I completely understand that. But I would also ask you just to take a moment to check yourself and say, Does that not describe humanity and the world that we're in, at least in some part, as I engage in it? And let's be even more honest. Does that not describe me sometimes? Does that not describe what I'm like sometimes? Socrates, as everybody loves to read, I'm sure, he talked about another problem that humanity has. He talked about death, and I thought this quote that he has about death is really interesting. He says, to fear death, gentlemen is no other than to think oneself wise when one is not, to think one knows what one does not. No one knows whether death may not be the greatest of all blessings to a man, yet men fear it as if they knew it is the greatest of evils. It's an interesting intellectual exercise. He's saying, why are we so scared of death? After all, isn't it hubris to pretend that we know that death is a bad thing? Maybe it's great. I'm telling you, Socrates' question answers the problem right in the question. We know that it is a great evil. We know that death is something to be avoided. In fact, much of the activity that the Apostle Paul explained in that last slide is an effort to escape from this impending feeling of doom that we face. We don't know what tomorrow brings, and we're scared about the implications of death. At best, it's some empty void, and on the other side of it is the potential that there is a God who really cares about how you've lived your life and where you are. That's a scary place to be. In fact, I would say it puts humanity in a rock, between a rock and a hard place. And what are the rock and the hard place? Let's just call them what they are, sin and death. 
That's the reality of where humanity finds itself apart from God. When we said in the garden we want to be autonomous, we want to do this on our own, it reaped something in humanity. It reaped us two things, sin and death. Paul knows this. The Apostle Paul, who quoted earlier, he doesn't implicate just humanity. He implicates himself when he says this, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what this moment this morning is all about. We celebrate Easter because we believe that that answer is Jesus and that answer is found in the resurrection. Hebrews says this about it. Only as a human being could he die and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Paul has a thesis in much of his writing in which he says the thing that enslaves us is our fear of death. That much of our life and the way we orchestrate it and the things we pursue and the things we do with our energy and our effort and our money is an effort to avoid this impending fear of death that exists in our life. And God tears a hole in the fabric of our reality on Easter morning. How are we going to get out of this? What the text tells us is that Christ died on the cross as in a propitiation for our sins, a payment for our sins. And then on Easter morning, how is he going to solve this conundrum in which the only answer for us was killed? He rips a hole in the fabric of our reality and he comes out alive. This is an incredible truth. This is what the church is founded on. This is the turning point of all of history. Our entire church year hinges on this moment. We put on the biggest service that we have all year right here, not just because it's a great holiday, but because without the resurrection, we are without hope. That is the truth of what we're looking at. Jesus says to the church, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Jesus gives us the direction on how to escape from sin and from death. It's from Jesus. It's in Jesus. It's in faith in the one who has been raised to new life because what he has done is ripped a hole in the fabric of our reality and brought the new creation to bear here today. And he's inviting you to participate with him in that new world. This is the world that will come to bear at the end of time. God will come and he will set everything right and he's asking you in his gracious kindness to join him in that mission today through faith in Jesus. That's what Easter is all about. Now here's the problem. There's a great quote from Eugene Peterson who's an amazing pastor and uh, philosopher and here's what he say, said. It's not easy to convey a sense of wonder let alone resurrection wonder to another. It's the very nature of wonder to catch us off guard, to circumvent expectations and assumptions. Wonder can't be packaged. It can't be worked up. It requires some sense of being there and some sense of engagement. That quote rings so true to me, particularly in this moment as I'm standing up here wearing a tie. I can't package it. We work for months in preparation for this service. We put on the best worship we have. We put up beautiful flowers. We sing the best music. We get our sound system tuned up. 
We put in extra chairs in the room. We invite you. We tell you to invite your friends. Y'all dress up real fancy. And none of that will serve as sufficient to convey the wonder of the risen Christ. I can't give it to you. We can't hand it to you. We can't package it in a way that will impact your life. You have to encounter the risen Jesus. That's the only way that this is going to happen. For those of us who have encountered him, we understand. I'm sitting here being caught up in worship on the side of stage, losing my place in the service because I've encountered the wonder of that risen Jesus. And I know many of you in this room have too. I wish that I could somehow put together a clever enough PowerPoint and enough scripture and enough funny jokes and remembrances of your childhood to give you faith, but I can't. The only way that you can find it is by believing the risen Savior who said, I am the resurrection and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And he's inviting you today to be there. This morning, what's going to happen right here after I'm done in just a minute or two is we are going to bring a parade of people out who are going to be baptized in this tank right up here in front because they have experienced the wonder of the resurrected Jesus. They are going to demonstrate the best they can for you through their stories and their expression of their faith, what it means to follow Jesus, what it means for the fabric of their reality to have been shredded by the God of the universe. That's an incredible moment, but that moment does not automatically get transferred to you. If you're sitting here in the room this morning and you know that our Savior has risen, and that that is such a significant impact in the history of the world that it has changed everything from here on out, then I'm glad that you're here. We're celebrating. We're doing the best we can to help you celebrate. If you're here and you've never experienced it, I want to invite you to ask God to meet you in this moment. That might be scary for you. It might be scary because maybe God doesn't respond. It might be even more scary because maybe he will. But I want to give you the same encouragement that Moses gave to those people standing on that shore of the Red Sea thinking there was no way for them. The only option they had was to return to the slavery of their sin or to face death in the water. And instead, what he says is, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. Let's pray that God will meet us in this place. God, we thank you so much for the story of Easter. God, it's not a tale, it's not a myth, it's not a legend, it's the truth. God, it's a truer truth than's ever been preached in the world. God, you pulled back the veil on reality, you showed us your grace and your mercy through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. God, we gather together as your people on Easter morning because The truth of the resurrection is the greatest joy that the world has ever experienced, and we cannot forget it. So we gather to sing, to celebrate, to feast, and to remember. God, for those that are in the room who have never experienced your grace. God, for those who have still been stuck between that rock and that hard place of sin and death, I pray that you'd meet them today. I pray that you'd save today. God, I pray that you would allow people in this room right now to be able to stand still and watch how God rescues. You are a good God. We love you. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.